Thanks for checking out this sermon from Redemption Church in Seattle, Washington, where we are enjoying Jesus, loving people, and making disciples. If you'd like to learn more about Redemption, you can go to redemptionseattle.com. Or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday here in Green Lake. All right. Uh, we're going to go ahead and jump in to our sermon today, to the text today. Uh, it comes from Acts chapter 4, 23 down to 31. Thank you, Melissa, for reading that. Um, and uh, yeah, so if you have a Bible or an app, go ahead and get there. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. Um, it would feel wrong to not mention uh, last Sunday the Seattle Sounders won uh, the cup, yes and amen. And I ran the fastest mile of my life after getting downtown. Uh, my watch let me know, saying, you're setting a record for an outdoor run right now. I was like, oh, in boots, by the way. So I'm here to brag about that too. Okay, anyway. Um, yeah, so anyway, pretty great. And the 49ers lost to the Hawks, and that was great too. That was, that was probably the greatest football game I've ever seen in my life. So it was. All right. Very important things. All right. Um, so again, welcome. My name's Alex. I'm one of the pastors here if you're new. Uh, and if you'd like for anybody to follow up with you uh, about needing any information about our church, or if you'd like prayer for anything, uh, feel free to fill out one of those connect cards in the pew and drop it in the box on your way out today, and we'll be quick to follow up uh, with you. Um, it's also awesome to have Dan back uh, from tour, uh, playing with citizens. Just so great. Our staff is just, it's incredible. Um, you know, this past Wednesday, uh, we got together, we had our all staff meeting and we're going through scripture and we're praying together and praying for the church and we're working through just various aspects of our ministries and responsibilities and stuff. And it was really cool. At the end of the day, I was getting in my car, it was about 5.45 or so and walk outside and sat in the car for a minute and went, I love, I love our staff, I love our church, I love our leaders, our people. Like this morning going upstairs, I'm like nine people in the cry room upstairs praying, you know, and our prayer team prays over every seat in this building every week and just our life group leaders and our elders and deacons, all the people that make our church what it is, is just incredible. And I genuinely believe God is working in our church and, um, and I hope you, you can see that too and sense that too. Um, and so it's just, I count it a real honor and a privilege to have a, a front row seat to see all that God's doing week in and week out here uh, among our community. And so, yeah, um, today we're going to jump into Acts 4, and I'm going to briefly just recap what, what kind of happened. Um, so in chapter 3 of Acts, uh, Peter and John healed a man who was over 40 years old, and he had suffered from paralysis his entire life. And because there was no government support for this man, uh, he was left simply to, uh, to look to people on the outside, whether it's family or friends or strangers, to provide for his basic daily needs. Uh, and so his custom was to wait outside the temple, beg for alms of those going into worship. Uh, the apostles Peter and John were on their way into the temple. Uh, the man asked them for money, and Peter and John, they remember they fixed their gaze on him. They see him. He sees them. Peter says, I don't have any money, but in the name of Jesus, place your faith in Jesus. Stand up and walk. The man did, and he started walking, leaping, praising God, jumps around, going into the temple, calls a lot of attention, obviously. It was out of the norm, out of the custom to be this loud, this vocal, this, right, excited. But the man had been paralyzed for over 40 years. You would do the same thing. I would do the same thing. He jumps in, goes in, leaping, praising God, causes a scene. And so 
Everybody gathers around. Peter and John then take the opportunity to go, you know how this happened? Jesus did it. This man put his faith in Jesus, the Jesus that was crucified a few days ago, buried, resurrected, and ascended. Jesus is the one that gets the praise, the glory, the honor, the credit for this miracle that he worked through, through us. And a few thousand people become believers in Jesus right there. 2,000 more people become Christians there. Then, uh, but, that was, but it wasn't all well-received. You also had the Sadducees, the chief priests, right? There are several religious authorities there present that did not rejoice in this because they did not believe in Jesus as the anointed Messiah of God, right? And so they bring Peter and John, they place them under arrest when you're disrupting our temple worship, you're doing things out of the ordinary, you're calling attention to yourself, and you're preaching something we don't believe. They place them under arrest, and as they're under arrest, the next morning they're brought out before a religious council, right? And the religious council examines them and says, what name, what power did you do this? And they're like, oh, we'll tell you like we told everybody else. Jesus did it. And then they go, well... We're going to forbid you from preaching in Jesus' name. You can do things, you can, do your, you can live your life, but you can no longer preach the resurrection of the dead in Jesus' name. Peter says, well, you know, just like you can't deny the fact that this paralytic is now healed, we're not going to deny the fact that Jesus did it and Jesus is Lord. We're at an impasse, and they don't. And he said, essentially, we won't shut up. Then the Sanhedrin threatens them and says, listen, you're going to lose your life for this. Knock it off. And then they release them. That's where we pick up today, okay? So there's a quick summary. All right. Now, if you have your Acts journal or take notes in your phone or whatever you do, you just kind of get that ready just because I'll, we'll do some cross-references. Um, so when they were released, Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So look where they go first. The apostles did not go back out into the city and then just immediately start bad-mouthing the religious authorities. Uh, they also didn't retreat after considering the threats. You're going to lose your life for this. They didn't retreat and go, yeah, all right, all right, we get it. We're going to, we'll just be quiet about our Jesus and we're going to keep that to ourselves. They don't. The first place they go is find their friends. Um, if you mark your Bible, that's a word you should probably mark. And here's why. Um, the older I get, I notice that words like friend, uh, stand out a lot more in my theological vocabulary. That is, like, going to seminary forever and ever um, and hearing the academic heady debates around atonement, hermeneutics, philosophy of religion, blah, 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 all that stuff, words like friend fall to the wayside. And yet, friendship is the thing that Jesus died to provide not only with God, but with one another. And in certain religious circles, um, you hear things from leaders from time to time say things like, well, you know, it's, it's lonely to lead or uh, nobody understands you. You know, you're a leader and no one can really understand what you're going through, which is just insane. It's not true. Um, the apostles had friends. Friendship in the gospel becomes invaluable. And if you want to see your life grow as a Christian, look at the depth of your friendships around you and that will give you a good bit of what you need. So they go and they find their friends. They're not alone. They're not just 
Western pragmatic folks who are okay to do it alone, but the apostles had friends. Why bring that out? Well, because they're going to share a story. And the place that you share your story, the people that you share your stories with, those are your friends. They go and they find their friends and report all that's happened. So can you imagine being in that room when they go back and they find some of their buddies that weren't present at the healing? Guys, you are not going to believe. You wonder where we've been the last two days? Guess what? We healed a guy who was 40 years old. We were threatened. And God gave us this boldness to just stand firm. And so the authorities released us. Now we're back telling you guys this. And then watch what the friends do. The friends' response are pretty incredible. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. So watch their, their first response. They just, their friends just dodged the bullet by the grace of God. They're staying bold. And the friend's first response is not, who do those people think they are threatening you? Let's go get them. I mean, we can work miracles. Why don't we call down fire on these people who are now clearly our enemies? They don't respond that way. I don't know about you, but I love the fact that the very first thing they did was respond in prayer, which is not honestly what a lot of us do when we hear news. We just don't. It's kind of, it can be kind of a last ditch effort thing. Like we can go and like talk to a spouse or a friend, go consult Google, whatever. Um, Think, talk, think, talk, think, talk, think, talk kind of thing. And then at the last minute, like, you know what? I guess maybe we should, I should pray about this. But the early church sets an example right out of the gate. They don't e- you don't even get a dialogue. It just says they report the story, and then everybody looks around and goes, let's pray. Let's go before God. Th- our friends have a threat. There is a, now a bounty on these two guys. We should pray, because clearly God's working miracles. God's healing people. He's, the, the Christians are speaking in tongues now and sharing the gospel in the city. There's now 5,000 Christians walking around in Jerusalem. We better pray. Let's go before God. That's their very first response. So very practically, something you can ask yourself is, one, do I have a friend? Who do I share my news with? And two, how do my friends respond when I share news? Do we pray? Do we pray? It's very simple. So they begin to pray. In fact, they, they lifted their voices together. They were, in, they were in unison. And they agreed together about their circumstance and turned to the Lord in prayer. Um, this also reminded me of the, the song, um, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, right? Um, this week. And here's what the lyrics said. Um, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? Jesus, Savior, is our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. So watch this massive view of God these early Christians had. First thing they say, 
sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. Listen to that. This comes out of, uh, if you want to jot down some cross references where they learned to talk about God's sovereignty, it wasn't Peter. It was actually way back Old Testament stuff. Um, So uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. Psalm 146, verse 6. Isaiah 42, verse 5. These early scriptures are saying, sovereign Lord, sovereign, meaning God, you are in control of everything. There is nothing outside of your power, nothing outside of your foreknowledge. There is nothing happening in this universe that you are not completely reigning over. Every square inch of the entire universe is under your power, your authority. And not only is it just cosmic and out there, but it's also over human affairs. Sovereign Lord, God who reigns. Like we're not, we're not what sometimes it's called open theists. That is, some people think that God doesn't actually know the future because if he knew the future, then he would be uh, too in control and then we, uh, you know, really wouldn't be free creatures. And so in order to preserve our autonomy as totally free creatures, God limits his own knowledge. We don't buy that for a minute because the Bible doesn't say that. Over and over again, the Bible says things. He determines the end from the beginning. Sovereign over everything. These Christians are under threat, and yet God is working, and they call out and go, God, sovereign Lord, maker of heaven and earth, you reign over everything. The furthest star burning in the furthest galaxy is yours. I looked that star up this week, by the way. It was um, nuts. Uh, it, it burned out right after the picture was taken, actually. It was kind of funny to read about. But it was the Icarus star, and it's over 9 billion light years away. That's God's. That's God's star. That's God's. Let that sink in. That's God's. Sovereign over that. All right. And maker of heaven and earth, everything, even he, they even mentioned the sea, even all the creatures in the sea. I looked up the, 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 the creature that dwells the deepest in the sea. It's called a marine snailfish. It's, five, it's, five, it's about five miles deep. Five mi- miles, miles. It looks like a tadpole, basically, but just crawling around on the bottom of the sea, just kind of, kind of swimming, kind of crawly looking thing. Yeah. Sovereign, Lord, maker of heaven and earth, owns everything, including you, including me. Sovereign over everything. I love that that's how the posture, the first thing they say, hey, we have a price on our heads, and the early church goes, sovereign God. Whereas in a moment like that, doesn't it look like, God, you fell asleep at the wheel of the universe, your church has taken off, but the world is coming against it. God, are you asleep? You ever feel that way? Of course you do. Of course I do. We all do. God, you fell asleep at the wheel of my life. What's going on right here? And the early church is laying out an example that even when it's chaotic, we look to a sovereign God, not a God who is asleep at the wheel of the universe, but is in complete control. And not only is he in control from a distance, he is in control imminently here and now through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's how Christians think. I love that. I love that. Sovereign Lord, you reign magnificently over everything. Everything belongs to you. 
In fact, we should probably just do that together um, and say that together as a church. So let's do that. Um, We'll say a prayer out loud together. Can we all do that? Participate? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. Yes. All right. So we'll just say this together. Let's just say it. We'll do it just a couple times. God, you are sovereign. Everything belongs to you. Ready? God, you are sovereign. Everything belongs to you. God, you are sovereign. Everything belongs to you. God, you are sovereign. Everything belongs to you. Let's just say that together, and now let's pray it for real. God, you are sovereign. Everything belongs to you. 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 That's how early Christians prayed in unison with their voices, not just in their heads, but they used their physicality right there in community together going, God, you're sovereign. Everything belongs to you. The world is crumbling and you are sovereign and everything belongs to you. The fish in the sea, the birds in the air, and all the people in the city, it's all yours. I love this. Wow. Then we ask the question, well, or sometimes we're tempted to ask this as Christians anyway, well, if God is so sovereign, then why pray? Certainly you've wondered that at least once. If God's in control, knows it all, is gonna do it all, why are we bothering praying? Anybody just honest enough to go, yeah, yeah, okay, see your hands, yeah. And that's a good question. If God is sovereign, why pray? But the better question is this. If God is so sovereign, why are we not praying? That's the better question. If God is sovereign, if God is in control, if God is reigning and ruling over every inch of the universe and we have direct access to the throne of God because of what Jesus did, why would we just opt out of the amazing opportunity to go before God in prayer? In fact, in Galatians 4, it says, he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying out, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, why is that important? Because in Galatians 3, we read about the justification that Jesus purchased, that when Jesus Jesus died and made us righteous with God. He gave us access to the throne of God in the same way that he has access to the throne of God. Why would we not pray? So that's how the early church responds. God, you are sovereign. You're in control of everything. Everything belongs to you. Now look, they they then turn their shift and, and they begin to quote David from a thousand years earlier. So they knew their Old Testament very well. <laughs> they say this. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, always mark that, it wasn't just David's prayer, David's prayer in this moment is guided completely by the Holy Spirit. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain and the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed? So, that in prayer, they're quoting scripture and making sense out of the persecution and all the events surrounding the execution and resurrection of Jesus. That's what they're doing. So the early Christians lean into their uh, uh, Old Testament, and then it says this, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Okay, so now they, 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 they look back at Psalm chapter two and they're thinking, David prophesied that 
the leaders and the rulers would all gather together against who? The Lord, sovereign God, Yahweh, and his anointed, the Messiah. David prophesied this was, this was gonna happen. And, and they did, and now the early church is going, oh my gosh, David just said the Gentiles and these leaders, the early church is going, oh, I know their name. It's Caiaphas, it's Herod, it's Pilate. And they applied this Old Testament prophecy right here going, we're watching it. We're watching it play out exactly the way David prophesied that it would happen, okay? One thing that they do, in quoting Psalm chapter two, they actually add the peoples of Israel here in this text. In Psalm chapter two, David doesn't say, and the peoples of Israel rallied against God's anointed. But the apostles go, no, our people did too. Howard Marshall, one of the finest theologians, said this about this particular verse. This is important. The inclusion of Israel among the foes of the Messiah marks the beginning of the Christian understanding insofar as the people of Israel reject the Messiah, they cease to be the Lord's people and can be ranked with unbelieving Gentiles. That's how it works. Like there is a, and why, why mention that? Because there's a, there's a theology that floats around somehow that goes, well, if you're born in Israel, it must be all right. And you're still God's, they're still God's people. This is a stark break from that kind of thinking, going, no, 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 no. Gentiles, Israelites, whoever rallies against and rejects the Messiah is in one camp altogether. Does that make sense? So this is important. That we don't just assume that everybody or there is a certain people get in based on their nationality. That's completely wrong. And it leads to nationalism and other things that are obviously what the Bible clearly condemns. The salvation comes through Jesus, God's son, and the filling of God's spirit in his people, right? Faith in his name. So Jesus is sovereign over all of this. God is sovereign over all of this, even the human affairs, even in the rallying against Jesus, God was sovereign. In fact, Jesus knew this was gonna happen. In Mark's gospel, he predicts three times he's going to be betrayed, handed over, crucified, and rise. And you need to know this too, that when Jesus himself suffered, it was not something that was only planned in the mind of God, and it certainly wasn't merely an attack of the devil or religious people or the Romans, but the way Jesus talks about his coming death, it is cooperative with his father. You've got to see that. Otherwise, you've got God the Father coming against Jesus the Son, and they never are against one another. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I and the Father, we are one. In John 10, verse 18, just a few verses later, Jesus says, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. I will take it up again. This charge I receive from my Father. He and his Father are in complete cooperation as he goes to die. It is not God merely putting Jesus to death, but he and his father together are working cooperatively in unison to save you and save me from the just penalty for our sin. 
Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, wow. God loves me how much? That much. That much. He loved you enough to give his own son to bring you into the family. Oh, yes. All right. And so Jesus knew that this was going to happen and went for it anyway. He saw it. Oh, whoa. That thing just broke. All right. Whatever. We'll go without it. All right. Working on it. All right. Rookie. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so let's do this. To do whatever your hand predestined to take place. I find it now in my text. Yeah. To do whatever your hand predestined to take place. So the death of Jesus, the persecution of Jesus, everything was predetermined by God. That's what scripture says. So whose will is being done right here? Did the Romans and the Jews, did they have their will accomplished? Oh yeah, sure, sure. Well what about God? Did God have his will accomplished? Yeah, sure, sure. So, do we need like a theology class to understand that? Yes, 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 we do. And we're not going to do that right now. (laughs) All right. But the scripture is very clear that this was the will of God, that our God is sovereign, even in the death of Jesus himself, okay? To do whatever your hand, whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, Look upon their threats. Listen to how they pray. They're praying about their enemies. And now look on their threats and look at what they don't ask. Drop a fireball on them, God. Smite them, to use a, a King James word, right? They don't pray that. They don't pray for the death and destruction of their enemies. Grant that your servants, grant us to be able to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So that's what they're praying for. They're praying, God, not just give us strength to stand, but give us strength to stand and speak. God, help us keep moving forward. Please, God, don't let us shut up and cower because we're being rejected by a surrounding culture and society that tells us to keep our opinions to ourselves. God, help us open our mouths up. Help us stand firm, stand fast, to hold it down, to continue to lift up Jesus in spite of opposition. God, give us boldness. I can't imagine what that room must have felt like. Can you? Knowing that there are threats right outside the wall, They will take you down the same way they attacked Jesus. They're going to come after you too. They're saying that. And they're going, well, God, find a way. If you could, just please throw more gas on the fire. That's what we want. Like, (laughs) that's unbelievable. They must be convinced. This must be real. They must have actually seen the real resurrected Jesus up from the grave. And so they're praying, God, throw more gas on this fire. We're down. Let's go for it. Give us boldness. Oh, and while you do it, this is amazing, verse 30. While, <laughs> while you stretch out your hand to heal, God, please don't let this paralytic that just experienced grace be the last one. 
Make us bold as you continue to heal more people in our city. Yes, physical healing. Yes, we want to see physical healing. If you're sovereign over every molecule in the universe, we want to see people healed. We believe you can. We know you can. If you have the power to raise Jesus from the dead, what can't you do? He walks on the water. He can cure anything. He can do anything. He possesses that kind of power. And so that, the early church is praying this way and setting an example for us to show us how should we pray. There it is. Pray for healing. Pursue healing. Seek healing. Why not? Why would we not? Like, well, I, I read a blog from a guy somewhere at one point that said, no, God doesn't do that anymore. Says who? It's here. It's written. It's here. God is not limited by anything at any point in history. And so we believe as Christians, if we go before our God in prayer and we agree that God can do anything. And so if you're sick, if you're struggling, if you have something going on, we want to make available opportunity to pray over you and to plead with God to have mercy and heal you. We really believe that unashamedly, unashamedly, that that's what we believe because scripture lays it out for us. Amen. And that's so great. And we're not going to listen to any cranky, white guys in blogs somewhere tell us we can't pray like this because it's not true. It's what we find in scripture. God can heal and we believe because he's merciful he will. Yes. Oh man. Can I just tell you real quick one thing too? My mom got back yesterday from Romania. I know this has nothing to do with anything but I gotta go ahead and tell you this. This is unbelievable. My mom was in Romania for the last week with six other senior citizens going from village to village sharing the gospel and 41 people came to faith in Christ this week in Romania. I'm like mom yes. Like that's the kind of stuff we're praying that God would do here. I went and interrupted the prayer team this morning going guys you gotta pray for this. I wanna see it not just in a village in Romania. I want to see it here. Do it, God. You can do anything. Give us the boldness, right? You are sovereign. Everything belongs to you, including these people. Even their hard hearts that look like they would never turn to you in a million years. God, the king says in Proverbs, the king's hand is in the heart and he turns it wherever he wills. God can do anything he wants. He can bring dead men to life at any second of the day. That's what we possess in the power of the gospel. That when we announce the good news and proclaim the good news, that Jesus is Lord and God saves in his name and sends his spirit. People turn to Jesus. They do. They do. We have by grace. Oh, all right. While you stretch out your hand to heal and perform wonders are performed and through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Wow. Wow. You can read about God shaking the temple uh, or in, in the tabernacle in Exodus. And then you can read it, read it in Isaiah 6. Remember that? That's a famous part of the Bible. Isaiah's in the temple, goes in, in the year the king Uzziah died, right? He goes into the temple and the place fills with smoke. And then the cherubim appear and they're flying and shouting and shaking. The, and it says, and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty, right? And Oh man, and it says the place literally begins to shake and the angel comes and touches Isaiah's lips with a coal, right? And Isaiah's confessing his sins and the angel touches his lips with the tongs from the altar saying your sins are forgiven, you're, you're, you're purged. I'm gonna move powerfully in the, oh, so good. That's what's happening. This place was shaken and again, now you see it again in the early church. They get together, average people, 
And they pray, and they pray in faith, and they pray knowing that Jesus is on his throne, and they ask God to move, and the place begins to shake again. Man, don't you want to be a part of something like that? Oh, yeah, dude, me too, Pete. Like, I want in, dude, that's what I want. I want to be a part of that with my friends and see the power of God move where people are being saved, where people are being healed, where people are being transformed, where marriages are fixed, where relationships are fixed, where, and Jesus is in the center of it all, and he gets all the credit. Oh, man. Don't you see that? Don't you feel that? Like, I want that? Yeah. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God answered their prayer. He shook the place, filled them with the spirit, filled them with faith. And they decided right there, we're not going to shut up. We're just going to get louder. I love that. I love that. That they were resolved. We're going to lift up Jesus' name. Jesus was not ashamed to go to a cross for me. And I will not be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So I'm going to be loud about him. I love that. That's what I'm going to pray for. In fact, that's what we're going to pray for. Um, so we're going to do something a little different this week in liturgy. Um, we, um, first, we're going to, I'm going to tell you about communion. And before you come receive communion, we're going to pray together as a church and like really pray like this, like Acts chapter four praying. Um, so let me tell you about communion first. In communion, in the elements, we, are, we see represented here in the broken body, the bread, and in the poured wine. The bread represents the body of Jesus, the wine or juice representing the blood of Jesus, that this is what reconciles us to God. This is what reconciles us to God. By faith in his name, we are made righteous before the throne of God. Doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you've done, no matter how many times, no matter how much baggage you have or addictions or whatever, labels that are on you, communion stands over you and reminds you again that you can taste and see that God is good and literally nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, isn't communion the greatest gift in the world? It's a covenant renewal when we take and we eat the bread and drink the wine. We remember that God loves us as we are. On our worst day, God ran toward us. Yes, in that while we were sinners, Jesus died for us. Communion. It's for everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. Now, with that being said, what we're gonna do before we take communion together, we're gonna pray, and we're gonna pray in boldness. I'm gonna invite Dan. Dan's gonna play for us. And here's what we're gonna do as a church family. We're gonna pray. And we're gonna pray for boldness. And here's the two things I want you to pray for today. Pray for boldness, pray for healing. Pray for boldness and pray for healing. Pray together, lift up one voice like the church did and pray together. Pray with your friend, pray with a spouse, pray with someone next to you. If you're not a Christian, you're like, I don't pray. That's fine, you don't have to pray. And just feel free to pass, like pass. <laughs> um, that's okay. But we're Christians in worship this morning and so since we're a family, we're gonna 
act like it, and we're going to pray together. Pray for healing. Pray for family. Pray for friends. Pray for people in this church that need to experience healing. Feel free to pray for healing. Pray also that we would be emboldened to share the good news of the gospel. Okay? So there we go. Feel free. Grab a friend. Pray for a minute. And then Dan's going to invite us to come receive communion in just a couple minutes. Okay? Go for it.